Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Insight in on the Tennis Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels from the Santa Monica studio. We've reached the business end of Wimbledon. A lot to talk about, a lot to discuss. Joining me now, uh, Tennis Channel's own and one of the newest members of the California Sports Hall of Fame, Ted Robinson. Welcome back to the show. Mitch, nice to be with you. And uh, it's great to have a, a normal Wimbledon again from the standpoint you know, many of us are watching from Southern California. But still to see the crowds back, to see the queue back, you know, unfortunately, not all the players are there for all the reasons I think tennis fans listening to this know. But other than that, it was a normal Wimbledon. That's been great to see. It was. uh, And, you know, we know that there's the reasons you mentioned. There's also, unfortunately, some positive COVID tests at the beginning. I bring that up because we were worried collectively about what would happen uh, on uh, this fortnight. And here we are going into the semifinal round and you have a lot of great storylines to discuss, a lot to get into. First things, first and foremost, I just want to hear your thoughts on uh, this past Sunday, the honoring of the past champions at center court, the 100-year hundred uh, year tribute ceremony, seeing all the great champions from a collection of eras. You saw Stan Smith there, Billie Jean King, current players, Nadal Djokovic, Venus Williams, Kvitova, to name a few, and Roger Federer's return to the ground. Uh, It was a special ceremony, and it's just good to get as many of these all-time greats in the same room in any ceremony, let alone just honor them at center court at Wimbledon. It's a great credit to the All England Club, Mitch. Wimbledon does this beautifully. Uh, I spent about a quarter century in Major League Baseball, and what I've seen now twice in my life at Wimbledon is what baseball teams used to do. Very few do it any longer, but they called it old-timers day. Mm -hmm. And they would bring all former players back of various vintages, various levels of success, but they bring them all back together at one time. What baseball did, which was kind of a mistake, and thankfully they've gotten rid of it, is they'd go actually go out and try to play a game. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that's not entertaining. The great Joe DiMaggio refused to play in an old-timers game ever because he said, I want people to remember me <laughs> the way I was. And when I watched some of the legends matches yeah. at these majors i think the same thing i think of joe dimaggio which to me is where mixed doubles comes in mixed doubles is fabulous entertainment it's not a legitimate title to me in the same way that the singles and doubles are because it's pickup it's pickup yeah. tennis but it's wildly entertaining fans mm-hmm. love it mm-hmm. that's great keep playing it that should be the thing so um back to wimbledon my first wimbledon mitch in 2000 i was sitting in the the great courtside bunker the greatest seat in tennis and they had a it must have been because it was the millennium, I guess. They did a similar thing. They brought the champions back. And it was the first time Bjorn Borg had been back at Wimbledon since. Wow. And I sat there and I watched him. And it was a parade on the court, just like we had. Um, actually, a little different. They, they paraded the players onto center court. And they walked behind the baseline, looped up along the side court to the umpire's chair. And that's where they were introduced. So Bjorn walked on the court. He dropped to his knees and he kissed the grass mm. behind the baseline. 
and it was not captured by cameras. All the cameras were focused on the net area, the umpire's chair, which is where the champions were being introduced. Yeah. But to see that with Bjorn, that moment in my first Wimbledon just cemented to me forever in my life the importance and, and the, how, how Wimbledon is cherished. Really is. That's a great story. I appreciate you sharing that. It's just great to see these legends in any sport, like when the NBA has their 50 or 75 greatest players, to see the interactions between the champions. Also, your first Wimbledon, that was a, that was a pretty good one. You know, you had Sampras Rafter and the, the legendary win that Pete had. And, you know, hard to believe it's been that long ago. But it was, but tell you, Mitch, it was, it was Pete's last. Mm-hmm. It was Venus's first. People forget that. It mm-hmm. was Venus's first. And it cemented to me a changing of the guard in tennis because in the quarterfinals that year, Venus beat Hingis. Mm. First time on a big stage. And Serena, of course, had just won the U.S. Open previously. She had jumped the, the, the line, so to speak, and won before Venus. No one thought that would happen. But Venus beating Hingis cemented that with the new century, was going to ch- women's tennis was changing. And Hingis had this brilliant meteoric rise, but it was very brief. Yeah. And she was never back after Venus Peter in that Wimbledon quarter because bigger, powerful tennis, which of course was Venus, Lindsay, yeah. Serena, that was going to start to win the day. It was a crazy changing of the guard. Uh, as we shift to 2022, we haven't seen it yet on the men's side. Business is still as usual. There's been some testy moments. We're recording this right after, literally right after Rafael Nadal overcomes Taylor Fritz, overcomes some injury issues, wins a four-hour-plus thriller on center court, down two sets to one. He wins in a match tiebreak. Ted, I, I run out of superlatives to talk about Rafael Nadal, the competitor, and it's it's really fascinating and really impressive to watch when his best game, whether it's by health or just being a little off, isn't there. That this guy, more than maybe anyone that's ever played any sport, can dig down into the reserves, into the deepest depths inside of him, and find a way to figure it out. This was another example of that. Taylor Fritz played well. There were some mistakes at times, but it's hard to blame him when who you're playing against. But this was Rafa just fighting, competing like nobody I've ever seen before, maybe in any sport. And I think that's, um, Mitch, I think the way you framed it is the way I certainly would frame it. It's just about tennis. The medical stuff, I, I, I will leave to others. I, mm-hmm. I don't understand it. I think tennis is very different than the team sports I've been around in my life because how do you know? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody knows. There are no team doctors. There are no, you know, required medical disclosures that we had in team sports, largely for gambling issues. <laughs> uh, that doesn't exist in tennis. I understand. I didn't see the match in Rome, but I've heard many people tell me that, you know, the match in Rome, he looked, Nadal looked very banged up. Yeah. Uh, there wasn't a single moment on the court in Paris or during this Wimbledon where you've looked at Rafa and thought he was hurt. So the, the competitive nature of him is, is unparalleled. It's unparalleled. Roger and Novak are great. Nobody matches Rafa in that regard. And I think what we just saw again with Fritz is a, probably the 50th example <laughs> over time yeah. that we've seen of another, to me, underrated part of Rafa's brilliance, which is his ability to adapt to grass. and you know, what he's done at the French will never be matched in, in the history of the world. So we get that. <laughs> but think about this. Bjorn Borg, I mean, it's so lost now to time. Bjorn Borg won the French six and Wimbledon five. I mean, you think about that. Yeah. 
in a time when the clay to grass adjustment was even more difficult because grass was the old Wimbledon Way grass. Way more difficult. There yeah. was one less calendar week in, in the last, I think, 10 years now. Probably they've added that third week between the two. Used to be two. Point being, Bjorn stood alone in the ability to make that adjustment. So you think about how Rafa has done this. And now he's won two Wimbledons. Novak has won two French. Roger won one French. So here's a chance this weekend for, for Rafa to put another separator between him and the other two. If he could win a third Wimbledon. It's an if. He hasn't even played in a final since 2011. Right. It's amazing. Fans don't, fans don't realize that. It's 11 years since he even made a final, 12 since he's won it. But if he can win a third Wimbledon this weekend and, in theory, beat Djokovic to do so, that would be, to me, another separator, given what Novak and Roger have yeah. totaled in Paris. There, there's a lot in, in what you said, and I think it's important to note just how impressive it is to even be in the mix of both of these majors back-to-back I think a lot of it has to do, you mentioned adapting, and, and I totally, completely agree with you on that one. Whether it's the nature of his game, you know, today he had the ribs taped up, there was something going on, point being his serve wasn't what it was. He can figure out a way to adjust his game based on the conditions of the surface, based on what he's going through, based on who he's playing, and he can figure out a way to win. I think Rafael Nadal's lack of success at Wimbledon sometimes can be contributed to the fact, Ted, that He's put so much into winning that French. He's, he's geared up his whole season. He's fought through a lot of adversity. There's been a lot of Wimbledons he hasn't played. It's just, it's, a, it's again remarkable that we were having this conversation that is he going to play? What's the form going to look like? How, how is he going to look? Is he going to make it through? And he's back in the semifinals. Like yeah. it's just, you know, he takes the court regardless of what the outstanding circumstances are, who's in front of him. He competes, he finds a way, and he just adds to his brilliant legacy. Certainly. And, and look, you know, the Wimbledon thing, there were a couple of times in the 2010s, he got beaten by some you know, unheralded players. He had a dip in his game. He was gone. He had another several of his departures for months and then comes back. So we went through that. But then remember, 18 classic semifinal with Djokovic, unfair to both of them because they couldn't finish on Friday night. Uh, thankfully, rule change put in to prevent that again. And then Roger head-to-head 19 semifinals. The last, I'm sure it'll be the last great match the two of them will have ever played head-to-head. And Roger beat him head-to-head on center court in that semi. So Rafa's made the semis in 18 and 19, but couldn't get to the final, but lost to Mm -hmm. the other two greats. So it's not like he's been completely absent. It's just he hasn't made it to Sunday. He just hasn't made it to Sunday in 11 years. And now who's standing in his way? A guy that in the past they've had some pretty – Emotional matchups. Rafa's been pretty vocal. He, he and Nick don't care much for each other right. on the court. And I think what's going to be fascinating to watch, Mitch, by the time people hear this, it may already happen on Friday, is the comportment of Nick on center court. You know, is it's going to be on center court? How does he comport himself? Does he play tennis? Do we get into the other, other, the just curious open the other bags? And if that happens, what does Rafa? We saw Rafa do something that I didn't like at all, which is a rare thing for me to say about Rafa when he played Sonego yeah. and he called him to net and as it was if he lectured him on the court and that was wrong. It was, I, I just, there's no athlete yeah. any sport that would have ever, Sonego was classy to accept that. No was, athlete I know of would have ever accepted that. It was patronizing for sure. And yes. props to Rafa. He did acknowledge right away. He shouldn't have done that. Yeah. So I, I did like the accountability, but that was wrong. 
regardless of whether or not he had a gripe with the grunting and what happened. Totally wrong. I agree with you. Uh, before we get to Kyrgios, I just want to put a bow on Taylor Fritz. I know this loss is going to sting. This is still a career best year by a mile. He's still relatively young, and he's been the guy. I mean, he's clearly the guy for American men's tennis. While, Ted, I think that in some cases, a loss like this would really sting and be that scar tissue we talk about. I kind of like where Taylor's at. I like that he's advancing further. I think he'll be okay after this one. I think he'll, I think he's proven that he's at they're at the door of that next, that final level. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Mitch, I, I use the phrase a lot now, tennis, the long game. It's, it's, it should be very clear to all that that's what you can play, what you should play. It's what I hope a lot of young players look at can college tennis factor in because now you play, you can easily play into your deep into your 30s, play the long game. And Taylor's done that. Um, I think, Seth, you know, Seth Cordes certainly has been on the track to do that. He hasn't arrived to this level as quickly as some projected 18 months ago perhaps but look at taylor taylor's had a steady yeah. climb you know and i've heard taylor talk about this in interviews and of course we uh, talk with our colleague paul anico who works with taylor and his team and they know you know they did the 250s and then it was conquer some 500s and then two years ago coming out of covid hey let's start going for the big shots let's get yeah. let's get some big prizes and he got some thousands and of course indian wells was the biggest one and now he's conquered the first big hurdle at a major. And he's only 24. Yeah. So there's so much runway ahead of him. And I, I understand the frustration because I, I felt this and I talked a little bit with Andy Roddick about this because I called, you know, Andy's three finals at Wimbledon. And the third one was the epic with mm -hmm. Federer to go 16-14 where Andy was just fabulous. Not dropping serve. I think he held, I, have to, I always lose my count. It's a nine or 10 straight service games and he held when it was sudden death yeah and then he finally blinked first at 14 15 and lost mm -hmm. but the, the point i'm making is you just don't know when you're going to get that chance again yeah. and i'm sure that's going to be in the back of taylor's mind is my gosh i was so close to beating rafa and you know for whatever fluky reasons will that will that chance ever come around, around again i think we all have reason to believe for taylor fritz it will Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Ted Robinson here on Tennis Channel Inside In as we look at the men's semifinals on deck. The guy, Rafael Nadal, is going to play also one. Uh, the, today, as we record this, Nick Kyrgios straight sets over Christian Guerin. Uh, Ted, before we get into everything that comes with Nick Kyrgios, the results on the court kind of speak for themselves. The way he's been playing, his serve is unmatched in a lot of areas, and he is putting together complete matches which has always been the thing where is Nick's mind going to be is he going to stay locked in there have been moments where in the past I think it's fair to say he might have blinked he might have checked out he might have wilted props to Nick because these last three matches especially he has shown up when it's counted and won a lot of big points on both his serve and in the return court yeah you know first of the first thing I think of Mitch and even watching against Green earlier he's held up physically that's always been a question, right, for Nick? Because he, he, mm -hmm. you know, 
where he is in terms of fitness His training. Fitness, a, yeah. So yeah, the emotions are what takes the stage, but the fit, I mean, the physical standing, I mean, he had the shoulder issue in the previous match and that was a concern to people. He's pulled through. Hey, physically he's held up. He does have two days as does Rafa till the semifinal on Friday. So that is a positive for them. I, I think there was a tell to me in the Sitsipas match. And that was that Nick uh, came out and was unglued. And Sitsipas in the post-match called him a bully. And I, and I wouldn't say it was, rather than saying it's a bully, I would say he employed, he acted like a bully. Right. <laughs> he employed I- tactics like a bully on the court. The point I'm going to make, though, is that he dragged Sitsipas down. Sitsipas went down with him. And there's an old country saying that I learned a long, long time ago when I lived in Oklahoma is you don't get in the mud and wrestle with a pig yeah. because you get muddy and the pig likes it. Yeah, yeah. And Sitsipas did that. And, and he came unglued. And Sitsipas should have been disqualified or defaulted. He should have been. Uh, Wimbledon dodged a huge moment or moments of uncomfortable of discomfort by the fact that Curious won the match because yeah. Sitsipas should have been defaulted. There was no explanation given as to why he wasn't. But the point there is that Curious was the one. Once Sitsipas got unglued and started drilling Nick, <laughs> which was interesting, what two things happened. Nick backed down from that tactic, right? Yeah. But he played tennis. The tennis race. That's a great he point. Tennis. The level the level went up. And we and we can chat about this now. Great, great take on the Sitsipas Kyrgios match. I think both of them left a lot to be desired character-wise at times in that match. The level did raise. Kyrgios knew what he was doing. He knew it's a, it's a tactic. And I don't think bully was the right choice of words, but he does better when he can get the drag the player down, as you said, get the player to lose focus, lose concentration, which didn't happen in the Nakashima match because Brandon just stayed locked in, and that's more of his personality. Sitsipas, poor choice of words on the bully side. And I agree. The the lack of enforcement in rules is a bigger conversation with tennis where he should have been defaulted and he wasn't. I think Sitsipas has to. I mean, you could say toughen up. You can say what, not get engaged with certain things. He's got to be able to overcome this. This is going to be something that, dare I say, the book might be out on him in this situation. I think this this brings up the bigger thing. When everyone brings up whether is Kyrgios good or bad for tennis, Ted, I don't think it's a it's a simple answer. I don't think it's it's definitely not fair to Nick to say he's bad for tennis. That's clearly not the case. We all enjoy watching him play, and the spectacle of it is is a great thing. But I don't think it's fair to to just also say everything that Nick does is good for tennis too. Like there's some issues that I take with how he handles himself, how he talks to people that work there. So and I and I also Ted don't think it's fair to the people that are on tour that are doing it a different way to say, well, this guy's good. So if you're on the more you know, straight and narrow side that that's a bad thing. I think it's a complex issue. And I don't think saying that he's good or bad for tennis is really going to you know solve anything. Yeah. I, I guess maybe this is just a, vet, uh, a fact of, uh, of a little veteran status and age, but I'll parse words again. I, I would never say that Nick Karras is bad for tennis. He has acted during matches in ways that are bad. Fair. He's admitted he's tanked matches. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, got into it, I think it was in Miami a couple of years ago where he really got into it with a fan sitting in the front row. That's bad for tennis. Yeah. That, that's bad. I shouldn't say bad for tennis. That's just bad. That That's not good. As a whole, I'm not going to throw an, an umbrella over him and by overall sure. say he's bad for tennis. But when he conducts himself that way, yeah. that's bad. 
And then what happened in the in this match last weekend at Wimbledon was both players conducted themselves 100%. in ways that were bad. And that was the problem that you're saying. Sitsipas, Sitsipas actually ended up conducting himself far worse than Kyrgios. I, I mean, drills a ball that, again, this this discussion, I've, I've heard people talk about, well, the ball didn't hit the fan. First of all, it did hit the fan on the rebound off the back wall. It hit the gentleman in the back of the head. But it was 30 to 40 miles an hour probably, right? Mm-hmm. whistling that ball yeah. and it went between a, a man and a woman missed them both by probably six inches if that hits either one the damage it could do yeah. i don't care that it, it missed them on the first hit that's automatic that's automatic you just draw a line and, it, yeah. <laughs> and the, uh, you know this as as i said the greatest movie of the last 25 years the big lebowski walter sobjack sobjack and he said you know as you draw a line in the sand and cross that line you do not come <laughs> and that's what tennis yeah. needs to do tennis just needs to draw a yeah. line and just say, this is not debatable. You right. hit a ball in the stands, and he whistled the second one, by the way, since he passed it off the scoreboard, it went right <laughs> over the head of Jerry Armstrong. On the underhand serve. Yeah, on the underhand serve. Just right, right. I mean, and he hit the scoreboard, but I'm kidding. He, he whistles that ball at probably 50 miles an hour right over the head of the tournament referee, and he sits there and does nothing. Are you kidding me? I, yeah, I, I think players playing Kyrgios have to understand that this is probably going to happen, and, and not to take it personal in a lot of ways, that it's how he can you know, improve his odds to win the match. Uh, that said, though, again, props to Nick for how he's played, especially these last two matches, focusing on the tennis, winning some big tie breaks, saving break points on his serve. And, uh, you know, he's as dangerous as ever. He's playing confident, and he he's not going to be afraid. Like, we know that when he plays Rafa in this next match, they are, I dare I say, as completely different as people and tennis players as we might have on the tour. Yeah, absolutely. We we called the match. Jim uh, Courier and I called it for Tennis Channel a couple of years ago when they played on center court. It was early. It might have been second round. Uh, I remember because we had an earthquake here when that match happened. Oh, is so that right? That's why I remember. It was a Fourth of July match. I want to say. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was, and you know, we kind of had it, it was it was early. I want to say second round, uh, either eighteen or nineteen, and uh, and we were sort of you know I remember making half tongue in cheek with Jim in the open to the match talking about it, it had a WWE feel to it. Because Kyrgios was in his peak of disrupting, so to speak. Rafa was very clear in his dislike of that. And, you know, Rafa's, whatever else you know about Rafa, his comportment on court, his respect for the game and his respect for his opponents is unchallenged, is unchallenged. It's yeah. brilliant. And he felt Kyrgios was offending that. Uh, it turned out Kyrgios played great for, if I remember, about a set and a half, maybe two sets. And then Rafa just punched him out. That was, yeah. that was it. He did what he did today, actually. He won a big tiebreaker. I think it was fourth set tiebreaker, and Rafa just ran away with it because, you yeah. know, it's kind of what he does, if I remember correctly. Uh, you know, the other side of the draw we should mention, we haven't mentioned his name, but Novak Djokovic going for a fourth straight Wimbledon title in the events that have been played. Seventh overall if he wins, and he just does what he does best, comes back from two sets down over Yannick Sinner. It's remarkable. I, I, I dare I say we're taking for granted just how – mentally stable in the moment he is when he's two sets down. This was another two-set comeback, like Sitsipas, the French Open final, like Musetti a year ago in a major where he comes back from two sets down, but there really isn't much drama in sets three, four, and five. He just gets the early break and then puts his foot on the gas pedal. Uh, He's a remarkable competitor as well and just does not panic regardless of the stakes, the moment, or the pressure. Yeah, and that's, that's exactly, that's Djokovic. When, except for his brief dip, in what 17 and 18 that's mm-hmm. exactly right Djokovic 
It's brilliant that I did not see this match. I was on I five, so <laughs> I saw the scores. And again, I know it, the match didn't have a lot of drama. The sets were all one sided either way. Overall, I just step back and say credit to Center because here's a guy like some other top players had no grass court credentials mm-hmm. coming to this Wimbledon. You know, he's not been around very long, but had never won a match on grass. And to do that, to not just reach this point, but to take two sets from Djokovic as well as Novak had played leading to the quarters, hey, hat tip to center. And the nice part to me was the preceding match because I thought that was an interesting statement by center. To say, oh, wait a minute. You've all anointed Alcaraz as the next. Hang on a second. I'm here. I'm only 20 or 21. That was center's uh, biggest win, I would say, too, yeah. in his young career. I felt like Djokovic also, he hadn't, and you can even say going forward, the path hasn't been the most tumultuous for him to get this far. This was a step up in competition. For the first two sets, it looked like Sinner came out blazing and Djokovic had to, had to realize that he had to raise his level or he would be going home, and he and he definitely did just that. I, I go back to a quote that uh, on another one of our on the Tennis.com podcast where Kamal Murray was asking players to pick their perfect player and everything, and it was Darian King who said, Djokovic court coverage movement is hands down number one. He just knows, the, and this is his words, he just knows the geometry of the court so well when I watch him play I think of that statement because he knows where he has to be he knows what angles to play he knows tactically what to do Nadal and Federer are like that too but I just I don't think he makes those mistakes I think he always knows where he is what he needs to do how he needs to play a point and he just it's death by a thousand cuts he will blow by blow take you down and he is as fit as ever (laughs) on top of that five sets aren't going to phase him physically yeah, that's a great phrase, uh, Mitch. I- I've heard other of our analysts use that phrase about Novak in the past, the geometry of the court. And and there's no one, even someone like me, a, you know, a knucklehead all this, can look yeah. at Novak and say no one changes the direction of a point as well, as frequently as Djokovic. You know, can just break the pattern and change the direction of a point. He does that magnificently. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just... I've got to say this because it's going to come up after, after Sunday, you know, next Monday, Novak Djokovic is going to be seven in the world. Mm. And and for the life of me, I know we're in an uncomfortable time in so many ways. It is impossible in my view to separate uh, sports and politics now, no matter what we all ideally think that's gone to me, that that is gone. Um, But this decisions, the decisions that have been made in tennis the last couple of months are going to lead to some very un, I'm guessing undiscussed, unforeseen fallout. And that's one of them. Novak Djokovic is going to be seven in the world Monday. How is that accurate and fair in men's tennis? Djokovic seven? Come on. It's crazy. It's not, it's not, it's just not fair. Yeah. You're hundred percent right. It's also not fair to the guys, uh, Kubler and Australian Tim Van Rithven, who got the wild card, went to the fourth round did tremendous things at Wimbledon that they're never going to forget and we're never going to forget, but they get no ranking points as a result and they're still low. And yes. a guy like Kyrgios too, who is on this run of a lifetime and no points to show for it. Yeah. I, I did ask this question just because I think, you know, it's, it's easy to complain about these things. And then you try to ask if you're doing responsible work, you try to find out why. So I asked somebody very close to the yeah. ATP situation. I'll preserve anonymity on this, but someone who actually would know about this conversation and decisions that were made. And I said, why didn't you just retain the 2021 points until next year? 
if you say no points this year, because not everybody's allowed to play full on, mm-hmm. but then reserve last year's points so that you don't penalize Djokovic, Berrettini, Pliskova, Sabalenka, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I, the answer I got from the ATP side was player fatigue over COVID influenced rankings. That makes sense. Players are tired. The players are tired of having the rankings be out of line because of COVID. Yeah. I've heard. What are you going to get? You're going to get Djokovic seven. That's way out of line. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that said. I think it was uh, Jensen Brooksby's coach, uh, Joseph Gilbert, said it was just really hard to move up the rankings the last two years with a young player because of the freezing. So I get that in theory. But yeah, at the end of the day, we're going to look at a seven by Djokovic's name and we're going to be like, how is that right? Uh, before we get to the women, just want to shout out a guy who Djokovic is playing in the semis, British number one, Cam Norrie, the nine seed in the tournament, Ted, and gets to the semis, gets the British faithful amped up that they have another one of their guys into the final four. Again, all credit in the world to him. I also think this is, if, if real tennis people like yourself, maybe me, some others, they know this isn't just flash in the pan. This is a guy who's transformed his game, his fitness level the last year. It was building to a moment like this. I don't consider this a Cinderella run. This is much deserved, you know, an accomplishment, the cherry on top for the year that and the work that he's put in. And that's a great call, Mitch, because to me, that could that could easily be Taylor Fritz had the luck of the draw been different, right? Mm. Nori ended up Damn. getting the better. And it's just, it's not his fault. Mm. He ended up just getting a little better luck in the draw. Mm. And then, hey, I'm a big Everyone says this seems right. You can only play the players that are on the outside of the net, and Nori's beating them all. Good for him. But if you're Taylor Fritz and, and those like Taylor Fritz, even Francis right now, Nori's another example. Play the long game. Yeah. Play the long game. You have plenty of time. And here's Nori again having the moment of his career. And and the other story, you know, we had the one day in the first week when Radicano and Murray go out back to back, and you think this is going to be, you know a funereal atmosphere in England, but then you end up seeing Heather Watson have the yeah. greatest run of her life at age 30. And then Nori to a semi good for them both. Cam Nori uh, told the story that he was at a British pub and the bartender said, you kind of look like that Cam Nori guy. And then he's <laughs> played along until the end. Uh, maybe not so much anymore. Is he going to be able to pull that card? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, more with Ted Robinson here on Tennis Channel Inside In, uh, looking at the women's side. An interesting Final Four, not one that we expected. A lot of that had to do with this past weekend, Ted. Igis Viantek finally loses. She sets the longest win streak in the 21st century on the WTA, but it's Alize Cornet on a windy day that takes her out. Just to put a bow on her run, obviously not anywhere close to her high level, her best tennis. Alize is a frustrating player to play Cornet's, but... You know, I do think there were some mental hurdles in dealing with being the top dog, being the hunted, and having that pressure of a win streak. I think she'll be fine, but I think this is more mental fatigue than actual physical fatigue. And I'm glad you brought that. That was where I was going to go, Mitch, with the word you just referenced, because I was speaking yesterday 
uh, actually, as I was driving up I-5 <laughs> and I was speaking to an Olympic athlete, an Olympic medalist from another sport and nothing to do with tennis. And, and this athlete was talking to me and helping promote um, something she, she wants to take forward, which is mental health. And the athletes emphasis on mental health, not just in their performance in their sport, but then transitioning out of their sport to life. Okay. And I was saying to this athlete yesterday, I said, you, you need to read up on the number one tennis player in the world, Iga Shviantek. I mean, what she has done to be, to, to, to just take over the number one when she first got it, we all know it was like people were questioning, how did you get number one? Well, she slammed that door shut. Yeah. But the point is she's been just as emphatic about having a tennis coach and having a mental coach and they're equal. They're equal. Yeah. And she's removed all of the word that and I've worked myself with a mental health agency in, in Bay Area of California, where I live. I've been on board for six years and one. And the word is stigma. And everything is about getting rid of stigma. Iga Shviantek has been massive, yeah. I think, in her stance coming forward. Way more powerful than Osaka has been Iga Shviantek yes. in equating her mental health coach with her performance. And, and that, to me, is just massively valuable. And for, you know, as I rave about Coco Goff. And her poison maturity at 18. I've never had a chance to meet Iga Shiantek. I hope I do soon. But I would say the same about her poise at 20, yeah. going on 21. Phenomenal. Makes me think the way she handles herself and how grounded she is and how open she is, that she will be fine. She'll be fine after this loss, ready to attack the the day and the, and the new tournament equally the same. I don't think she's going to dwell. I think she's very positive in that regard. And, you know, losses happen. It's, it's a tough sport. You know, if you... If you don't bring your best that day, these are traveling pros that have dedicated their life to the sport. So it did it did open things up, but you know upsets happen. And, and Mitch, on this on this front, I'm, I would say let's a hat tip. Although she lost in the quarters, hat tip to Amanda Anasimova. Yeah, she's gone through her own struggles mm -hmm. as recently as Indian Wells this year, right? And you know she's had some issues on court in the past that are clearly related to that struggle, the struggle of the mind, and and. Her team thought they were past that. Well, she had a, you know, let's just say, lack of a better word at the moment, a relapse at Indian Wells this year. Man, has she come back from that beautifully, both Roland Garros and now Wimbledon. So that is a great sign for an extraordinarily talented, still very young player. Her best year collectively so far, it's not even close what Amanda's done from Australia beating Naomi to the run she's went on. It's just been great. Uh, you know, hope to see more of her best tennis come forward. The final four. We have uh, Anjibor taking on Tatiana Maria, and we're going to have Simona Halep versus Rabakina. Uh, just a couple of things. Maria had never made past the second round of her Grand Slam, Ted. Uh, the mother of two at age 34 out of Germany is now experiencing the greatest run of her tennis life. And uh, again, draws opening up, battling, winning a lot of physical matches, but no one saw this coming. I mean, this is, this is uh, remarkable Cinderella stuff from the German. I think that Tatiana Maria's story is fabulous. I, I've covered a lot of women's tennis over the last 12 months, and I think women's tennis right now is great. I know Serena's on, you know, fading out. Mm -hmm. Cameo here, cameo there, but, and Ash Party stepped away surprisingly, but I think the women's game is fabulous. The stories are great. And there's, you just mentioned too, Own Jabor's story, which we've chronicled. I sort of feel like I've chronicled that from the beginning on Tennis Channel, is remarkable. That's a screenplay. Right. Jabour is a screenplay waiting to happen. Hey, Somebody hopefully will make a movie of that. Ted, do you feel like covering sports? And I know we 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 always 
lack cliches and, and the right way to phrase things. I feel like the phrase and the word pioneer gets thrown around loosely at times. Yeah. Anj Jabor is a true pioneer Absolutely. by definition of the yeah. word, what she's done for tennis in a region of the country that has not had much of success at all. The door she's opened and uh, still going forward, she is a true tennis pioneer. And if she wins Wimbledon where she's the odds on favorite as of this moment, that is exactly a screenplay for someone that's just, you know, just a joy to be around by all accounts and someone that continues to knock down doors for people that haven't had access to it in the past. And I, I know there's, I hear chatter sometimes in conversation about, you know, is it, is it demeaning or something for, for a female athlete to be um, called a, a wife partner and or mother? And I'm going, we should be celebrating this. Mm -hmm. Owen Jabour should be celebrated because we saw her when she first came on tour. I remember calling a match with Martina at Roland Garros years back. And she had no fitness level about her at all. None. She was out there trying. She had obviously been a very good junior player, yeah. but her fitness level was nowhere near what it had to be to compete at the top. She got married. Mm -hmm. She marries a, a Russian fencer. And this dude, you see him in the box oh, yeah. all the time. The cameras don't even know. The, 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 the television directors don't even realize the coach, this new coach is just a, he's a late ad. The husband is what changed her life. Yeah. Good for them as a couple. That's yeah. a true partnership. He supports her. He he got her some fitness regimens, some better health training, and look what's happened. Tatiana Maria should be celebrated. Given what we've gone through in our country in the last couple of weeks, hello. Yeah. Here's someone who has given birth twice and has not just come back to play, but clearly has a support system at home, right? Yeah. That's supporting her with two kids to come back and play at the top of her profession, it's, it, that, that's, that to me, is, it's, that should be honored and celebrated. Well, Jabor and Maria are, are very good friends too. There's photos of Jabor with the little ones. So uh, this should be a good one on center court uh, as we record this. And Halep Rabakina, another one. You know, Rabakina is quietly, if you look at the splits, her grass court tennis is her best surface. It kind of caught people off guard. Tall, big server, and had to battle today down a set to Tamjanovic. And then Simona Halep, who is a Wimbledon champion, felt slighted that she didn't get to kind of open center court as the first person on uh, this year. But look, she's got a new coach. She's got uh, she's healthy, first and foremost. And she believes and knows she can win here. So this is the resurgence of Simona Halep, somebody that's you know not needed a redemption story, but is a proven champion on the WTA. Shouldn't have caught us, I guess, as off guard as it did. That's great. That's a great point, Mitch. And that, to me, Rabakina, actually, that, that's the semi, those are two sleepers. People have just completely overlooked Halep as a former champion because, you know, her, she doesn't have a, her recent racing form isn't great. Rabakina, to me, is what Sabalenka was last year, who couldn't be here this year, and Pliskova was last year. I mean, that's, she's the next in that wave of the player whose game would seem to be perfect for grass. So, uh, you know, as much as the Jabour Halep would be of the final four, that's the final that would be a great story. I would have no surprise, not one shred of surprise to me yeah. if Rabaka is the one holding up the Venus Rosewater dish Saturday. Well, as we look at the, as we look at the potential final matchups on both sides, Ted, and we wrap this up, I, I do want to point out on the women's side that if it is Halep and Jabour, that will be a testament to consistency, to obviously a, renowned fitness and in Jabor's case, getting herself into that shape. 
and really not having weaknesses. Because you look at what's happening on the WTA, and I agree there's so many good storylines, but some of these big hitters, Amanda, Sakari, Coco Goff, who I love, have some things they need to clean up. Coco's forehand just a little off, and, and a player like Halep, who's so mentally strong, what Anjibor has transformed herself into. The level collectively has raised to where, yes, there's 20, 30 women that can win these tournaments, but to get to these final stages and come through, you've got to be well-rounded and you've got to be consistent in 2022. And I think the other point to me, Mitch, has been, I said this, I think, for the first time in Charleston this year during the women's event there was, you you look at the women's game now and, and you see what disruption there has been even at the top of the game and if you're a player you go why not me mm-hmm. and Coco was a why not me at Roland Garros and she made the finals mm-hmm. and this was a wonderful opportunity for her and many others but Coco got knocked out okay mm-hmm. um, there she has very much long game ahead of her yeah. but that's to me is what makes the women's game great right now is that there are so many openings so many opportunities and players with terrific stories and a nice blend. You have veterans, Halep, Pliskova, you know, others that have been around for a while, and you have the newbies coming up that are making their mark. Well, the women's game is going to crown their fourth different major champion in a row, so it'll be fun to see who can hoist yeah. the trophy. There will be a story for sure. And on the men's side, I know a lot of people are putting Djokovic in the final. We'll see if Cam Norrie can give him a match, but Nadal Kyrgios, one of them, into the major final. You'll either get Rafa, Ted, going for his third straight the calendar slam still alive or nick Kyrgios going for a wimbledon title after he was written off he talked you know cryptically about maybe i'm not going to be playing much longer and here he is popping back up in shape and and ready to do battle with uh, nadal so whatever happens in the final i'm going to be glued in because there's so many different angles that this is going to turn into yeah well i mean i think both it's it's a heavy favorite now that it will be Djokovic nadal and again the history is phenomenal because the last time they played in the Wimbledon final was 2011, which was Rafa's last final. It was Novak's first Wimbledon win. The first of yep. what has become this crazy string at the time. We could never have foreseen that with Roger still going strong and, and Murray strong and Rafa strong. The fact that Novak dominated the 2010s and Wimbledon is pretty fascinating. Yeah, it is. Kyrgios is going to take the court fearless against Nadal We'll see how Rafa responds physically. You know, mentally, he's going to be locked in. I'm just excited. I can't wait. The All England Club, for all, for everything that went down, you know, we've talked about it before, the positives, the negatives. We're getting what we dreamed of, and we're getting good, competitive, interesting matches on Championship Saturday and Sunday. Well, I just want to reflect back, and it was an, un, an unfortunate statement Osaka made a few weeks back. I mean, to try to to try to diminish Wimbledon ranking points. Stop it. Yes, there are individuals that are being, as as you pointed out earlier, Mitch. There are individuals that are. This isn't being dealt the right hand. It's still the championship that changes your life. Mm-hmm. The two people that will hold up trophies Saturday and Sunday may be people who've done it before. Uh, you know, Halep would be the one on the women's side. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Djokovic and Nadal have both been there. But it changes your life forever. Being a Wimbledon champion changes your life. Somebody could ask for tickets. They're the member of the club. You can hit them up for tickets, Mitch. Come on. Yeah, there's a pretty long wait list at that club. So I think this is the direct path to be a member uh, for sure. Uh, Ted, this was fun. Really appreciate you as always coming on Inside In. And, and a sincere congrats on being honored at the California Sports Hall of Fame after uh, 
a lot of decades. I won't say how many to kind of make oh, you yeah, sound too right. ancient, but yeah. yeah too, too many. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you, Mitch. Look, I mean, it was the classic case of Al Davis, John Madden, Roy Firestone, and me. Pretty good. Who doesn't belong and why? Okay. <laughs> Pretty good class to say the least, but uh, no, it looked like a great event. Again, congrats on that. And uh, yeah, we'll be hearing you on the Tennis Channel uh, airwaves soon uh, to talk about whoever wins these Wimbledon tournaments, but also yeah. get us ready for that summer hardcore series as well. But Ted, always a pleasure. Appreciate the time and thanks for coming on Inside Out. Always, always great to visit with you, Mitch. Thanks. That was Ted Robinson on Tennis Channel Inside In. We'll be back next week to talk about the Wimbledon champions, get ready for the Hall of Fame ceremony in Newport, and talk about the Summer Hard Court Series 2022 on Tennis Channel. It's going to be exciting. For Ted Robinson, I'm Mitch Michaels. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.